Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It is Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota here on 101 ESPN. Timothy Michael McKernan and Action Jackson with you on the radio program, a program that solicits your involvement. 314-399-9646 is how you can text in to our Air Comfort Service text line. And then you are also welcome to uh, use the 101 ESPN app to leave a mic drop. Jackson, uh, no longer censoring the mic drops. And I love to hear that. You know what I say? Let freedom ring, especially as we approach Independence Day. And you think of Bill Pullman's Independence Day speech in 1996 film, Independence Day. Good or bad? Good. Yeah, I Hmm, think... I picked up a read that it's like not great. I've gone back and forth on its counterpart, Armageddon. With your board? Yeah. On Armageddon versus Independence Day. Deep Impact is the the lesser of the three. Hmm. Um... And I think Independence Day edges out because I don't think Ben Affleck is a good actor. Wow, take Smith. Great director, bad actor. What about Gone Girl? Loved Gone Girl, but Roseman Pike is acting circles around him. What about Goodwill Hunting? Uh, yeah, he's not. He's they clearly put him in the second fiddle for a reason. Wow, he who would have thought Ben Affleck would take Frapnel today and not? Giovanni Gallegos or Ali Marmol, but that's what we got. Ben Affleck is in the crosshairs on Balloon Party from 10 to 11. Uh, Jackson, the Cardinals were in a position last night to make it 7 out of 9. They were? It was trending in that direction. It would have been a win that I think, I could just kind of sense with the way Chip Carey was calling it. And the way the fans were reacting, that people were starting to allow themselves to believe, not everybody, but allowing themselves to believe that a Sunday charge could take place. The Reds had kind of slipped a little bit since the 12-game winning streak. I don't know how many people really buy into the Brewers, the Cubs, the Pirates. L.A. De La Cruz, since his uh, cycle had fallen off, mm-hmm. maybe he wasn't going to be the second coming of Albert Pujols. And, and people started to to think, you know what? Norn Arenado, three-run home run. Oh, there's Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, there's Brendan Donovan. And then, bang. Yeah. And if you were starting to believe, you had your heart ripped out. Um now, the thing about last night's game is, from my standpoint, and tell me if you disagree, because you were watching the game. I got home right when Gallegos entered the game, okay. so All I, right. I, got, I got the best part. <laughs> sure, you got the highlight. Uh, but uh, in the fourth inning, the Cardinals had an opportunity to really blow it open. It was 7-3, to three, and they had more uh, opportunity to score, but they weren't able to capitalize. Uh, Lars Newport uh, popped out with... Uh, a great scoring opportunity, run on third, less than two outs, and then Arnado popped out. And if you were watching closely, you could tell he was running gingerly down to first base on that pop-out. And uh, then he was pulled from the game with a back issue that Ali Marmol said in his post-game comments came from a slide the night before. 
So you had that already kind of running as a, it would make it a, a win that would be a bit bittersweet because you don't know what Arnado's situation is, and that would be super problematic, especially considering he had the three-run home run to give the Cardinals the lead in the first inning. And then the Cardinals ran themselves out of an inning with what, to me, conveys a lack of faith in Dylan Carlson that you pull the play that we used to run for the, the cutest funeral home team in 1986 at Afton Athletic Association when the kid wearing jeans was up to bat and there was a runner on first and third. And you knew the kid with the jeans on wasn't going to make contact. So if we wanted to get that runner in, I'd start running to second base and then the kid at third base would start running home and we would count on the uh, the uh, ace moving and storage team not being able to make the throw properly to home and we would be able to, uh, to get that run in even with the kid with the jeans up at the plate. In this case, Dylan Carlson was wearing the denim, and the Cardinals pulled that, but uh, Jose Altuve was able to make the throw to Maldonado, and uh, Paul DeYoung is out, and the Cardinals miss another opportunity to score. And then the eighth inning rolls around, and Giovanni Gallegos Jackson, as you saw when you returned home from your men's league game, just didn't have it. And what looked like uh, an inning in which the Cardinals would just try to keep the lead, one swing of the bat, and Jose Altuve gives the Astros the lead. And then Jose Abreu piles on, and uh, off we go. And that which looked like a win, seven out of nine, including the first two against the defending world champions, turns into a loss. And that's one thing. To me, that's players not executing. Yep. And I felt like the post game then turned the attention back to the manager. And I want to play some of these clips. And maybe you were watching. Maybe you have heard them. I don't know. But allow me to refresh my memory if you did hear them. And if you haven't, uh, take a listen. Jackson, why don't you set up these three sound bites for uh, the listeners? Sure. So this first one is talking about if uh, Marmol had a short bullpen last night, he was limited with some of the guys in the bullpen. The overarching theme to listen to is the tone of the answers and the manner with which those asking the questions were uh, were treated and asking those questions. Take a listen if you would. Here is sound bite one on the bullpen. Were you were you short picks tonight? Were you down a couple guys up there tonight? No. Okay. Based on the way that the sequencing happened through the bullpen throughout that game, Palante for that spot, for example, I was curious if you found yourself in a spot where you were trying to lengthen the guys you had in that as that game played out. Run me what was what was odd about it. Just two. Palante comes in and face the righties with two outs as opposed to maybe Stratton in that spot, for instance, right and forward from there. Yeah, Stratton's Arsenal pitches there against uh, both uh, Altuve and Bregman. Um, are my favorite. Uh, both of those guys have a good chance of getting him in the air and going a long ways. I'd rather keep him in the ballpark with Palante. If you look at Altuve, he's two for two with the 2,500 against him. If you look at Bregman, I think he's three for four against Stratton. I'd rather keep him on the ground with Palante. And if he can't get those two, he's got Tucker, who I feel pretty confident he can get. So, no, I wasn't short any guys. All right, there's one. So he is using stats, analytics, to explain the decision. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Jackson, what do we have? Uh, what do we have for question two? So the second soundbite is John Den and some others asking about, you know, I wouldn't say second guessing, but questioning the bullpen moves in the eighth inning. Yep. They haven't, and that's that's part of it. I mean, you look at it; we've blown a lot of leads after the seventh, and. Uh, you give different people an opportunity at it, and it, it just hasn't gone well. So, 
you score seven, you have to win a ball game. Bottom line. Is there frustration extra with the Maldonado double given the way the at-bat went with Myers immediately before? Yeah, we walked the eight hole three times today. Did you consider going and getting Gio after the home run so that maybe the second one didn't come? Was there a consideration to pull him there before the second home run? <laughs> um... Yeah, if you would have told me the second homer was coming, I definitely would have taken him out. It's happened three times this year now. And how many times has it not happened? I mean, let's. Yeah, we can bring Cabby in for Tucker there. Tucker's been uh, much better against left handers this year. He's got over 1,000 OPS. He's got a six and change against righties. And uh, if Cabby doesn't get Tucker, do you like the Obreu bat? The answer's no. So, I mean, in hindsight, you can ask however you want to ask it, but we shouldn't even get to that point. Yeah. Okay, we got that one. We'll, we'll comment on these uh, as a whole in, in a moment. Uh, and then, uh, Jackson, what is the third one here for uh, the 101 ESPN listeners? Sure. The third soundbite is Marmol being asked about analytics versus in-game situations and how you weigh the two. For the record, he cited analytics uh, specifically in his first answer and then uh, to an extent there in the second answer. What do we have? Let's listen. Yeah. Can you use the matchups and the data that you have so readily available how do you, as a manager, weigh what the numbers are saying and then what an in-game situation may or may not be calling for? Yeah, the numbers don't make a decision for you. They never will. It's a matter of you're watching the game. You're watching what guys have done. You know who has confidence, who doesn't, who's feeling right, who's not feeling right. And uh, you make your decisions based on what you're seeing live. Numbers are there to inform decisions. That's pregame. You know all this data pregame, and you go into the game already knowing uh everything we just talked about you're you're reading the game and using your eyes um what's the follow-up to that i was just wanting to know because every manager is different how you weigh those decisions yeah so there you go now jackson the second soundbite was him going after John Denton, which seems like it might be a regular occurrence. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, it sounds like whoever is asking questions after a loss is walking up to the exposed nerve and gently touching it and then receiving wrath. As somebody who covered Tony LaRusa, um, almost on a nightly basis when they had home games from 2000 through 2005, uh, in his latter years, Norm Stewart, Mike Martz could certainly be intriguing. Um, I have been on the receiving end of getting my ass lit up for asking a question. And honestly, if you do it, you can't take it personally. Sure. I know people watching or listening may be like, oh my God, how do you put up with that? Or why don't you say something? It's just, it's kind of the job. And it's one of those things that I would understand those on the outside looking in, not understanding, but I guess for lack of a better term, you just got to kind of trust me on this one because after a while you don't take it personally. So I don't, so that's one part of it. But the second part of it is actually what was said. And in his first answer, when asked about why moves were made and or a a move was not made, he cited what? Analytics. Correct. And in the third question, I believe that was Katie Wu of The Athletic, a frequent guest on BK and Ferrario, uh, asking a question. And what did he say? The numbers don't dictate decisions. Right. They inform, but they don't dictate. Right. And I thought, well, that just kind of 
goes against what you said. I feel like, now maybe if he were sitting here, he would be able to expound on it. But that strikes me as counter to what we just heard in the explanation for the decisions. Now, with that all said, that's getting into the specifics. I don't look at last night on Ali Marmol in any way. If Giovanni Gallegos does his job and doesn't throw the ball down the middle of the plate, there's a good chance the Cardinals have won their seventh out of nine. And if the Cardinals are able to convert incredible scoring opportunities, they should have had 10 runs by the time Altuve even comes up to bat. Uh, We're not talking about much of this stuff. But my perspective on this is, is looking at it from a bigger picture issue. Because... If you want to compare and contrast, which I oftentimes do, um, why, even though there's certainly some louder criticism of Doug Armstrong now than at this time last year, uh, there is a belief that, okay, I'm surprised the Blues used all three of their first round picks last night and didn't trade. Okay, the Blues brought in Kevin Hayes. Okay, the Blues traded O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Barbashev. Okay, that there is there is belief that there is a plan With the Cardinals, there is skepticism that you are hearing the truth. And also, I think one of the core issues that you may not even be conscious of, but I think informs your perspective as a fan, is that oftentimes when you hear either John Moselak talk or Ali Marmol talk, it sounds like they are talking down to the reporters who are the middlemen for the fans. Right. And on top of it, if the actions don't back up the words, then it discredits said words. John Denton's question wasn't out of line. Katie Wu's question wasn't out of line. I don't know who. There's a Derek Gould or Jeff Jones who asked the first question. I'm not sure. But the point is, none of those questions were out of line. Mm -hmm. John Denton's reason for asking the question about possibly pulling Gallegos after giving up the first home run was not based on, well, I mean, he gave up a second home run. Wouldn't it have been nice to have that one back? Of course. But it's the fact that Gallegos had, when he is off, the innings tend to spiral. Right. That is the issue. This is a non-Cardinal take, but I know I said it on the air when the Cardinals went and swept the Red Sox. Kenley Jansen is a pitcher, as a guy who likes to throw a live bet around. If I see him walk the first hitter, I immediately go and place the bet on the opposing team because that means he's not on. More times than not. It's just one of those things. I think Helsley kind of falls into the same category, but Jansen, it's it's the Teddy KGB Oreo and Rounders. It is an absolute tell from my standpoint as a guy who's been pitching in the major leagues. I mean, hell, he pitched against the Cardinals in the 2013 NLCS. I've seen it long enough, whether it be with the Red Sox, Braves, or Dodgers. So that was why John Denton asked that question. And here is what I am saying and why I bring this up and why I pull pull this audio and I'm talking about a last place team like they lost a game when they're a game back and in reality they're nine games back. But I'm talking about it more as a big picture on the Cardinals because I think the reason why the Cardinals have this chasm of trust between themselves and many in the fan base is because of the the tone with which they deliver their message. And it is oftentimes tone deaf. Those questions were not out of line. Those weren't New York or Philadelphia media questions, you know, trying to stir the pot. They're fair questions. And Ali Marmol, from my standpoint, got himself into trouble early on with the Tyler O'Neill thing, which didn't need to be said at a press conference, but okay, it did in the five, fifth game of the season. Whatever. You get upset. Ideally, in a situation like that, from my standpoint, you lead privately with that conversation. And then another part of leadership is you know you're on tilt. You're angry. 
you are frustrated by a game that you lost that you feel like you should have won. But one of the traits of being a leader in a face of a franchise is being able to handle that and realize, okay, I just got to take myself like out of my body and handle these questions. And as they say, never let them see a sweat. And after tough losses, still here we are four months into the season and it turns into, you know, crap like that. Childish responses. And all that does is irritate the fans even more. When the actual, if you, if you were just to read what he said, right. you'd go, okay, those are, some, those are some good answers. But when you hear them and you hear the, you can hear the sighing like, oh, these people asking me questions again. Um, his information that he's saying makes a lot of sense. Now, the weird thing is at the end, he said that the, the numbers aren't what dictates his decision when in the first question he used the numbers. But what I'm, I'm telling you is this. Covering Tony LaRussa, using Norm Stewart as an example, albeit that was I was 21 years old and he was at the tail end of his career. But d- d- Tony LaRussa, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. If you want to go back some, Bill Parcells. If you want to go to college basketball, you got a lot of choices. Bobby Knight, Jim Beheim, Jim Calhoun. All these guys were brutal to deal with. You could tell they were brutal to deal with. But you know what the difference is? They won championships. And so they had the gravitas and the credibility and the equity with their bosses to conduct themselves in that manner. And also with the fan base. I'm sure still even now there are people in Bloomington, Indiana, and who are Indiana grads who still would go, God, I wouldn't mind having Bobby Knight back. And Jim Beheim, and Jim Calhoun, and Tony LaRusso, and Nick Saban, and Bill Belichick. Why? Because they won. But if you haven't won, and if you're in last place, and if you're acting like that, and people are asking fair questions, it doesn't do you or the organization you represent any favors, because your message, which actually has legitimacy to it, is lost in the tone. And I think both John Mazalak and Ali Marmol suffer from that, and it would be wonderful if somebody at the organization could say, hey, we're losing our fan base because of the way you guys say the words you're saying, even if the words you're saying have truth to them. It's lost in the tone and the condescension. Your thoughts are welcome. Text in 314-399-9646. You're listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota. Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson with you here on the program. We are with you for one hour. And, uh, Jackson, you were testing the audio with the boys for uh, BK and Ferrario? Yep. How's it sounding? Outstanding. In in Nashville? Yeah, they sound great. A little second round action coming to you live. Yeah, it's going on right now. So that's where uh, Alex Ferrario and Tanner uh, Hendrickson are for the broadcast coming your way in about 30 minutes. I I had the... uh, double shoot going last night watching the Cardinals on my phone and watching the NFL uh, NHL draft uh, from beginning uh, through the Blues final pick and I don't and I got to tell you that's not necessarily my normal behavior I think it's probably because the Blues had three first round picks right so I was uh, dug in Um, the last thing I am going to even attempt to do is act like I know anything about these three players uh, beyond what I've read so just for full transparency and you know feel free to light me up 314-399-9646 and you might win uh, tickets sell Monstero by doing so 101 ESPN has your chance to score a pair of tickets sell Monstero next Saturday night July 8th at uh, Hollywood Casino tickets for El Monstero 
Astero on sale now, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Text in to 314-399-9646 to win tickets to El Monstero. Get all the ticket details and find a bonus chance to register to win free tickets at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 app. Now, what I can tell you uh, is I think going into this, I think many uh, including myself, would have thought the Blues would have been trading one of those picks. Um, but there just weren't any trades last night. That was a surprise. Carlson going second certainly caught people off guard. Uh, the Coyotes and their purple-suited executives, hmm. uh, they were wearing colors uh, to the uh, to the stage, drafting a player who clearly was surprised that he was drafted that high uh, when he was drafted uh, was a surprise. So that further allowed the Blues to get into position uh, to get somebody who I don't think many people who were observing this going in thought would be available in Dalibor Dvorsky. But yet there he was at 10 and the Blues were able to get him uh, with the 25th pick. Uh, another center uh, in Otto Stenberg. And then finally, they tended to uh, the defense with Theo uh, Lindstein. So uh, Jeremy Rutherford was able to join uh, the opening drive this morning and give his thoughts. Jackson, uh, since we were live on the air with TMA, I'm anxious to hear what uh, JR had to say. What do we have here, sir? So this is JR on the timeline for Dvorsky. Right. Yeah, it's going to take some time. I think that uh, in terms of getting on the roster, being a guy that you go into the season and you say, okay, we got this guy, we got this guy, we got Dvorsky, uh, we think he can be on the second line, third line. You know, I think you're looking at four years, honestly. I mean, you could push it and say, you could push it and say three years. I think that's where Doug Armstrong said, uh, you know, you can be a player for the organization. But I think in terms of making an impact, like if you're looking at a guy who you're really going to see the attributes, you're going to see the playmaking, you're going to say, okay, Robert Thomas is our number one center. Dalibor Dvorsky is our number two center. I, I think that's in the three to four year range. There's the timeline for the 10th overall pick. Uh, what do we have here from uh, JR? Uh, we also have his thoughts on the class and some of Dvorsky's intangibles. Yep. I think that uh, they had a good draft. And look, this is probably 15th draft I've covered. And, you know, a few years later, you wind up actually talking about one or two guys, maybe. So if you look at this draft class, three first round picks. That's great. You know, I listened to a lot of the uh, experts on the uh, TSN last night, and they were talking about uh, how they felt like the Blues had a great class. Look, when Dvorsky slid down to Blues at 10, I thought that was terrific. I thought he was going to go 7-8. That's where he's at in a lot of the mock drafts. Uh, but like you see in that uh, segment the Blues put out behind the scenes with some of their scouts, they like a lot of those intangibles. And I think that's what the, the Blues need. The Blues need that. A lot of times you, you talk about the skill and you talk about the numbers and expected goals, so on and so forth. But here's a situation where they like the character. They like the player. And, and I think that was the case with all three of these guys. And, hey, just a quick uh, scene setting here. It was kind of funny. We had uh, Otto Stenberg, the second pick of the Blues last night. He was up on the stage. And when they announced that the third pick had been, uh, the Blues' third pick had been made, Lindstein, he said, no way, no way, I know him. Oh, so I, I saw that he t- tweeted about that they knew each other. I didn't know what the circumstances were on that. Uh, yeah, they had. I was watching uh, as uh, they had Connor Bedard on the anchor desk last night, and he was doing his uh, first interview with uh, Butcher Gross and, and Kevin Weeks while the Penguins were making their pick, and it turns out it was somebody who Bedard knew really well, and uh, he got excited when he heard that he got picked. Um, and by the way, listen, I know. I mean, he's a Blackhawk now. 
But something that stood out to me, especially considering how young he is, and as I think Kevin Weeks was making this observation that, you know, he has, we've been hearing about Connor Bedard for a long time. That's not usually the way it works with, uh, you know, NHL players who are picked that young, that there's that kind of buildup. There have only been a handful, I feel like, uh, you know, and if you want to go back to whatever player it is, it isn't isn't like this is a yearly anticipation with, say, like the top pick in the NFL draft for example point being he could wind up being one of the faces of the nhl for the next couple of decades theoretically it could wind up working that way i mean he is going to be with the blackhawks even though when he was on with scott van pelt last night he goes well my first job is to try to make the team meanwhile he's already hyping opening night for crosby versus bedard uh in october which they will be carrying this is my observation. I realize he's a Blackhawk. I'm 100% aware. And now he is persona non grata. But from a health of the NHL standpoint, the fact that this guy loves and lives for the game of hockey and also he has, I wouldn't say he's like a Charles Barkley personality by any means, but he's he could wind up being a really good spokesperson for the game, mm-hmm. which I think would be a wonderful thing for the game to have that uh that's a real positive it sucks where he wound up if i could have placed a wager on where he would wind up before the nhl draft that probably would have been where i would have thrown it um saying thrown it was not done unintentionally but um i was impressed by him and uh and how he conducted himself and what had to have been probably a hundred interviews uh, both leading up to last night and um, and after getting drafted by the Blackhawks. Because when it's all said and done, you do want to see, at least I do, want to see the NHL get uh, more and more attention. And if this guy can become a superstar, realize it's not a great thing for the Blues, but it's a good thing for the league. And if he has some personality to back that up, um, or at the very least sincerity and appreciation for the game, I think that can carry some weight and help grow the game. Your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646. I got a great text here, Jackson. I was sent in at 1029. Uh, making an observation on what this person thinks is the biggest difference between the Cardinals and Blues, and specifically Mazalak and Armstrong. And I want to read it and get your thoughts and the thoughts of the audience. I'll do that on the other side of the break. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party, driven by Monganess, St. Louis Acker, Alton Toyota, Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you on the program. Texted, win all Monstero tickets, 314-399-9646. I like this text. Maybe I'll get, it's not, it's not ripping us. Mm-mm. It's not looking for a deep dive, but I like the text. It's a wonderful question. It's kind of QFTA, uh, Tim McKernan Show podcast theme, except it's uh, more sports related. Here we go. Hey, Tim, just wondering if you agree with me on something. I feel like the biggest difference between John Mazalak and Doug Armstrong is anticipating. It seems like Army always has a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, 
And while nobody's moves work out 100% of the time, at least you can understand the moves the Blues make. Whereas with Mo and the Cardinals, it's always if this and if that, but no real foresight. Sure, the birds spend money, but why are they spending money on the Fowlers, Matzes, Leaks of the world, etc.? It's because they are needing to spend on the best of the available instead of anticipating ahead of time and not overspending on guys that aren't the difference makers they are paid to be. Why someone in charge of a major league ball club would ever say they were, quote, surprised how the market developed is beyond me. Your thoughts. I really enjoyed that text. I have to tell you that. It was well thought out. I really do. Um, and I believe that comes it's, comes from the 618, but I see in the above text, which was sent into the fast lane, uh, looks like a couple days ago, uh, this gentleman identifies as Scotty Boom Boom. So Love I, that name. Uh, so I tip my cap to Scotty Boom Boom because I, I like the text. So he does acknowledge that, of course... Being aggressive versus passive is not going to work out 100% of the time. But I gather what his feel is, is that fans appreciate an organization being active slash aggressive versus being passive slash reactive more. And I would agree without question, by the way, that that is one of the reasons why I feel like the Blues overall as an organization have a higher approval rating than the Cardinals. And keep in mind, one organization is coming off of a division championship and a playoff series, and another organization is two, three months removed from what was the end of one of the more disappointing seasons that I can recall, actually, in my lifetime of Blues fandom. So that that tells you something. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this isn't necessarily a prisoner of the moment. This just happened, so therefore we're going to overreact on sports radio, i.e. the Mike Greenberg playbook. So with that said, let's dig into it. Because I would say one of the Blues' biggest misses uh, was compounded with... Petrangelo, then Slash, Tory Krug. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we would all agree, not not litigating whether or not it worked out, because I don't really know who would be in the camp of wanting to provide the defense. I could. You, you, that would be wonderful, actually. I, I could. I don't know if I, I... I would ask if we could do four hours, if you were going to take the line of, I love the Krug signing, it was a great move, and then you... Peter Puck Indeed. were the one to pray the, the role of Johnny Cochran, Bob Shapiro, F. Lee Bailey. I think that would be a treat. Yeah. Match this, Jamie Rivers. God, that's Jamie Rivers music! <laughs> uh, so, what I am saying is not, did it work out? I'm saying, what Doug Armstrong did there was textbook, aggressive, active. He's like, yeah, we're not going to sit around. Sure. We don't think it's going to work out with you. We're not going to give you what you want. Bonus, non-movement. It's not going to happen. So we're going to go out and get somebody. Now, I'm asking you for the purpose of this discussion to not go, well, did that work out? Because it did not. And this Scotty Boom Boom, who texted it in, acknowledges that it doesn't work out all the time. But I think we would agree. Maybe people wouldn't. I don't know. That... As far as track record over the last decade, I think we would agree the Blues have done much better than the Cardinals. I don't really know if it's possible to do worse than the Cardinals in the free agent market. Oh, yeah. And uh, hell, trades as well. Don't get me wrong. You also would go, well, how'd the Goldschmidt and Arnado things work out? And you would say, well, those have been quite lovely. Um, And I understand that. But Doug Armstrong, I feel like, 
makes things happen and communicates in a manner that people can buy into. It's not condescending. And and you do sense that there is a plan, even when it doesn't work out. And again, keep in mind, they're coming off a disastrous year, and they're trying to trade away the guy who was the Petrangelo, I don't know if I want to call it the answer, because I don't think that's what that was expected to be. But that was the attempt to somewhat fill the void created. Sure. And they just got off of a weekend in which they tried to move him to Philadelphia, and he wouldn't go. And people are still of the opinion, I think, they would take Doug Armstrong over John Mazalock. So when you look at the Cardinals style, uh, I would agree that, yeah, I, the, the, I just I didn't get this offseason. I, I had to have said it because it was at the forefront of my mind. Why, quote unquote, replacing Yadier Molina was identified as this absolutely must make move listen if Yadier Molina were a parallel to replacing and it's tough because Albert Pools did come off of this great year last year but that was that was an outlier that was really two months of magic and beautiful and a Hollywood ending but if you were replacing a peak player who went to free agency and left the organization at a spot that produces offense okay so Usually the outfield, this Cardinal outfield, certainly not necessarily being your typical outfield as far as offensive production goes or first base. Maybe similar to Ozuna a couple of years ago. No, Ozuna no bigger than that. Because uh, the, 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 then, then you go, you got to you got to replace that. But this was a catcher who wasn't productive offensively. But the reason he was so valuable were things that I don't think you can necessarily track via baseball reference. Agreed, yeah. The ability to call a game, now you can track it if you want to compare and contrast the staff's ERAs and performances when he was behind the plate versus Kisner or whomever else over the years, Um, or intangibles such as leadership. But that's not on baseball reference, and I think we might be appreciating even more this year because I have a feeling if you either really know in the clubhouse, uh, you wouldn't necessarily see some of the stuff that we've seen. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Point being, that wasn't on the market that wasn't on the market. And if you couldn't get Sean Murphy, then the, the move wasn't just, okay, now we react and we go overpay for Wilson Contreras. And that's why I didn't like all of that. I like the Sean Murphy play, but I didn't like the Contreras play. And I also didn't get why the whole mission at the start of the offseason was we've got to replace Yadier Molina because you're kind of replacing traits that are irreplaceable. Right. They're not out there. They're not out there. There was an article, God, I don't know where I read it. It might have been ESPN.com, and it was just 48 hours ago uh, that I read it, and maybe people text in and because they may have read it themselves. Uh, you know what it was, actually? It was the New York Times, uh, which is surprising that I was reading sports, the New York Times, but nonetheless, that's actually where I read it. And they interviewed a bunch of players about uh, the new rules, and it just kind of you know, what they thought of the new rules and if they were building a franchise, who would they? And somebody said, give me Yadier Molina's ability to call a game and lead a team and then I'll figure out the rest. That was one of the players' answers. Awesome. That tells you yeah. quite a bit about it. You know, you get, you get a chance for Shohei Otani, which obviously was named a billion times and yeah. some of these super young players with ridiculous talent. 
But this guy citing somebody who just retired, who was by no means any form of an offensive force toward the tail end, and and that person appreciates those intangible. As a major league ball player, said now all these guys were anonymous, but that says something. That's in the New York Times. That's not like a Post Dispatch local story. That's the New York Times. Uh, you can't replace that. And so if that's the case, then let's turn our attention either to the rotation, which if you have a solid rotation, it then bolsters the bullpen and you don't blow as many games as the Cardinals have at this point in the season. Or let's turn our attention to the offense, which I realize has some big names, but also with the exception of two of them, none of them done it consistently at the major league level yet. They hadn't. Uh, or if they had, they had, they had been in the process of trending down. And so... I just didn't understand the offseason, so it wasn't necessarily being reactive so much as I would say it was misguided. I'm sure that if Doug Armstrong could have kept Alex Petrangelo's St. Louis Blue, that would have worked out. Now, maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that, and it might be wrong, but I think that there were two issues there that just made it a non-starter, unfortunately, and I really mean unfortunately from Blue's perspective, and that's the bonus, and that's the non-movement clause, and they weren't going to budge on it. I don't know if you would go back and do that differently even now. But the Cardinals, if you look at the free agent signings over the last decade, have so much dead money in the pot. Right. And then on top of it, you don't stop there. There are some trades where you go, man, what in the world was either going on with trading for that player or trading that player away? And somehow it's just kind of like, well, that's the Cardinals, though. And I guess that's because they they get into the postseason. But I think so many of us are in the age range of when getting into the postseason meant a hell of a lot more than it does now. So many more teams get in. Literally three times as many teams get into the National League playoffs as did when I was growing up in the 1980s, which is why 82, 85, and 87 have special places in people's memories because that meant you were one of the final four. You get in now, you're one of the final 12. And it doesn't mean nearly as much, but that's what the Cardinals will point to to defend their actions. Well, we've been to the postseason the last four years, and it's a different bar. It's the equivalent of a college football coach saying, well, we went to a bowl. Going to a bowl in 2023 means nothing in comparison to what it meant in 1983. Your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646. We will give away the El Monstero tickets in our next segment. They have BK and Ferrario with Alex Ferrario and Tanner live from Nashville where the second round of the NHL draft is underway. That is coming up. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A one, two, three, four. Welcome back. This is the final segment of Balloon Party. Driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota. Jackson, we're receiving kind words in the air comfort surface text line today yeah i don't know how to handle it i'm out of my element i'm very out of my element because i can only hear out of one side of my headphones what's going on with you you suffer a stroke i don't know i don't know what's going on jackson is perturbed you know it's going to be great when the youtube pops up and the people can watch jackson look confused behind the board and he also revealed today on tma that he's on edge when he's in the one-on-one studios explain that to the people uh, I'm constantly nervous. I have this like fear of failure as opposed to a quest, a quest for greatness. So what fuels me, you know, if anyone thinks like, oh, Jackson's got a good work ethic, it's because I'm so nervous about disappointing everybody in my life and failing. So that's what fuels me. And I'm trying to shift that to become a quest for greatness. Wow. And that so, was so poignant. 
Well, that's, that's, I've uh, evaluated my thought process and that's currently my thought process. So right now, still in the fear of failure mode, but trying to be quest for greatness. Look at that. Yeah. I think either way is, a, you know, it's the same dish, just different recipes. Wow. Once again, it's like you're speaking in poetry. It's like you're Edgar Allan Poe over there. Yeah, maybe I'm loosening up. Still can't, I can only hear out of one Still side of Still though, and then he went back to his bailiwick, which is confusion and uncomfortable. But here's the thing. We were discussing this on TMA. Um, I am uh, vacationing, uh, and Jackson's letting me have his place in the Hamptons. It's really nice, too. Yeah. It's uh, next to Billy Joel. Just lock the back door when you're done. No problem. And uh, so I will be out, Now I'm going to be doing some of TMA from... My vacation. Right. But balloon party, we're, we're saying, hey, we'll take, take that time off. And today on TMA, and Ryder, I don't know if you heard this, okay? Here is, here is what I'm pitching. Jackson, Rocchio, and from TMA, a Cardinal Takesmith, Darren the Plowboy Atkins. That would be balloon party for the shows I'm vacationing at Jackson's parents' place in the Hamptons. And I think it's wonderful. I think it could be great. I do. I do. I really do. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Rocchio was excited when I talked to him about it coming in here today. He's full of energy. and. Oh, yes. I noticed you pause when he said, he's full of, and then you go in energy. I felt like I picked up a reed. No reed. I was going to say something else. But I again, hope you weren't going to say the S word, because he's a St. Gabriel's guy, and we take care of each other. I no. know he's Italian and I'm Irish, but still, we'd, we'd overlook that for the uh, the good of the, the parish. Rocchio and I are very close. Um, and so I would never say Both something Both love like the that. NBA, which would be such a delight for the audience to hear. Yeah, I mean, that would certainly be part of it, but not the mainstay. You know, we, there's so many sports out there, and we like to talk about them all, Tim. And so I think it'd be really fun. Yeah. Solid squad. What time is it? I probably got to go. I got I to, because if I get going on this, then I'll be here till 1130, and we got people live from Nashville. Alex Ferrari and Tanner live from Nashville. Uh, I'm anxious to hear this say. What? We got the <laughs> we got the winner for the Elmont's Tarot tickets. Oh, thank you. That was relevant. I thought you were going to like drop in a Brian Winders take. Yeah. Horst, Z- Horst, Horst, Zion be dunking in the offseason. Yeah, um, that's what they're talking about. Um, Who gets the Elmont's Tarot tickets? Scotty Boom Boom. And he deserves them. Absolutely. I love that. It doesn't, you know what? You can win tickets on this show by not necessarily just ripping our asses, although i got to be honest with you, I enjoy those, uh, or deep dive requests. Today, Scotty Boomin just had a really good, it was a combination of an observation with a question. Yeah. And now we've diversified how you can win tickets on Balloon Party, and that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Congratulations, Scotty Boom Boom. Enjoy the concert. All right, BK and Ferrario with uh, two of the members of BK and Ferrario in Nashville. Brandon Kiley will be here. That is coming up in a matter of moments. For Action Jackson, I am Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Mungan St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.